Over WOR New York, your station for news as it happens. I'll be back with another 15 minutes of news at 11 o'clock. And now, Gene Shepard. out there, and the, uh, it's great to return to a, uh, a, a an area of the country that has comparative sanity. Comparative, I say that. Yes, comparative. Yes, indeed. Uh, of course, uh, there are certain drawbacks. I'll tell you, this, uh, it's, getting, it's getting out of the way. It's getting worse and worse by the minute. You know what happened today. I'm standing in the, in the subway down there, down on the Christopher Street there. You know, they have a little subway station down there. It's kind of a symbolic subway station there. Trains don't come there anymore. They haven't been there for years. But I like to go down and stand once in a while, pretend that there's a train coming, you know. And uh, I went down to the station today, and there, there's all kinds of stuff written all over the walls. As you know, the spray can has uh, literally revolutionized uh, the graffiti world. That and the felt-tip uh, marker, that's, that's been pretty good, too. And so uh, somebody has scrawled right over the gum machine, which has not worked, by the way, since the second year of Jimmy Walker's regime as mayor. This gum machine is a symbolic gum machine. (laughs) Poor thing, it has a penny slot. (laughs) How long has it been since you bought anything for a penny? And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a collector's item one day. So I walk in there, and I'm standing around there, and I'm looking at the graffiti. Somebody is... uh, Hey, you know, I notice a great trend in graffiti these days. I'd like to applaud it. It's a return to basic fundamentals. Yes. Uh, just within the last month or two, I have observed, for those of you who don't spend much time underground in the subway, I have observed the return to fundamental principles of the true graffiti artist. They are beginning to 
once again put mustaches on pictures. Have you seen that? Just mustaches for a long time. You know, there was all kinds of obscenities all over the pictures, but now they're putting mustaches on them. And uh, maybe that, uh, maybe that uh, confirms uh, Andy Warhol's latest dicta to we here in the Fun City. Uh, has it occurred to you that Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol has become the uh, Elsa, um, what was her name, Elsa Maxwell. He's become the Elsa Maxwell of today. He makes social pronouncements in much the same tone. So today, uh, Andy Warhol said, pornography is out. Well, he may be right. I mean, they're going back to old mustaches. And there it was. I was kind of pleased. You know, it was one of these big ads that said I got my job from the New York Times. And it was an embalmer. Uh, and he shows among, you know, he was among all these caskets and stuff, you know, and he's looking real happily out of this picture. They looked a little like Zachary in a high wind. And uh, he's looking out. He got his <laughs> job through the New York Times. And somebody had penciled in a very tasty mustache. Nice mustache. And uh, I like to report that there is a return to basics going on in the graffiti world. One of the old timers whipped out. He just could not... Uh, Obviously, could not control himself and put that mustache down there, you know. And uh, next to the gum machine, there was a bit of graffiti, which I find disgusting. I find disgusting. It said, Shepherd. It said, Shepherd dispenses electronic graffiti nightly. <laughs> My God. It's disgusting when you find yourself in the graffiti world. Bring it up there, please. My God, I'll show you what graffiti is like. I'm going to play my kazoo to John Philip Sousa. All right, bring it up. I know it sounds bad, it's terrible, but it, it does clear the air. <laughs> and uh, I just had to get it off my chest, you know, blow a little sound here. Uh, and uh, It is true, I mean, I suppose graffiti has its uh, place. You know, I'll tell you this, uh, for those of you who do not know what is going on in this city, and I'm directing it at the great vast crowd out there beyond the environs of Manhattan... Uh, a lot of stuff that's happening here in town that uh, never gets reported. For example, on every street corner, you've probably run into it, on every street corner, 
There's these little weaselly-looking guys with bad skin that are handing out little thin pieces of paper asking you to attend the latest opening of a new smash uh, massage parlor. You have gotten some of those? Yes, I have too. And uh, they, 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 they stand there, you know, and they pass them out. Yeah, you mean you went to get a massage, huh? Can you imagine a guy going to one of those places and actually hoping that they do something about his, you know, his back? He's got problems with his back, and he's got problems with his knee, and he wants it rubbed, you know? No way. I mean, uh, <laughs> that presents an interesting thought, you know? I mean, can't you see you going in there, and this bimbo shows up wearing a, wearing a, a toga? And you say, you know, I've been having trouble with my back right here. And uh, she says, what? And he says, my back. She says, I've seen some sick scenes, but get out of here before we have you arrested. I mean, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, you, you get so that you collect these things. You know, I, 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 uh, I in, you know, in absolute, uh, in absolute uh, defiance of the rules of survival in this town, I walk right to those people and say, can I have one of those, please? Uh, and nothing is more depressing than to find them handing out the handbills, and they'll take one look at you and don't give you one. Uh, you know, it's just terrible. It's, uh, it's like, you know, it's like you put on your tie and everything, and you walk down Greenwich Street, and nobody whistles at you. That's depressing. When you realize you've been rejected, and uh, so... <laughs> I mean, not that you're looking for business, but it's terrible to be rejected just out of hand like that. See, so... So, you know, there's all kinds of ways to get traumatized in this town. So I'm standing on the corner of 34th Street and 7th Avenue, which is one of my popular uh, corners. You know, you stand a lot. Yeah, I'm, well, actually, I don't stand. Sometimes I stand maybe upwards of 20, 30 minutes for light to change on that corner. And the trucks are going by, and they're handing out the handbills around there. And incidentally, once in a while, uh, a little old lady will come along with a net shopping bag, you know, and she's walking along and charging into Macy's which is a great uh, a religious temple on the corner of 34th and uh, 7th Avenue. It's a, it's a special kind of religion. It's called shopping. Uh, shopping is a religion at this time in our history. Uh, some people get jumpy when they haven't gone shopping for a couple of days. You know, it's just like the old-fashioned religious fanatics used to get jumpy when they haven't confessed or they haven't, uh, uh, you know, done whatever it is that their religion calls for. And if you're a dedicated believer in shopping, and you suddenly find that you've twisted your ankle and you can't get to Gimbel's or Macy's for a couple of days, you tend to get a little jumpy. And uh, I, I, one day I'm standing there, you know, waiting for the light to change. One of these guys handing out these handbills, scene. it was a fantastic handbill. It was in uh, it was in day glow orange. I mean, it's really fantastic, and it had little ball fringe on it. You know, a really elegant one. It said the opening of this new this new pleasure palace, and it says uh, manned by seventeen fugitives from ancient Rome who would have uh, fitted right into Caesar's most spectacular Saturday night parties. And it says, uh, come and the, they have sauna baths. I kind of like that. Or d'oeuvres are served, which I kind of think is a nice touch. Or d'oeuvres before the main course. And so uh, they had hors uh, d'oeuvres. It says mixed drinks on the premises and the whole business. See? And uh, they're handing out these fantastic things. And this guy's walking around. The guy with the bad skins, so he's handing them out. And along comes this little old lady carrying a net shopping bag, and she's heading towards Macy's, see? Well, the guy, you know, without even looking, he just says, uh, here, you know, and he hands her this, uh, this handbill. And uh, it's kind of nice. The little old lady gets this handbill asking her to come and attend the grand gala opening of this uh, pleasure palace. 
that uh, was uh, opening that. They open and close here with the rapidity, you know, about every 12 and a half minutes one opens and about every 12 minutes one closes. So this one was being opened near 8th Avenue, which is a fashionable street in the, that particular world. Uh, 8th Avenue is the 5th Avenue of the massage parlor joints. You know, it's the, where all the dilettantes and the real experts go. You agree, Earl? That's right. And, uh, you know, big signs say adult movie. You should see some of the adults that go in there, great-looking adults. Uh, you know, mature people. They're really very mature. And uh, you can see them all skulking in, you know, holding up their copy of Ratfink or whatever it is, their, you know, their favorite mature reading material. And they're uh, <laughs> sneaking in. And uh, so it was kind of exciting to see this old lady get one of these invitations to attend this thing. And she took one look at it and put on her bifocals. Oh, it's very nice. And uh, she, she uh, turned to the young man with the bad skin who was passing these things out. She says, Sonny? And he said, yeah, what do you want? She said, very nice. He says, hors d'oeuvres. Uh, are they serving hors d'oeuvres now? He says, what do you mean? Hey, he doesn't even read his things. You know, he just hands them out. He works for, he's on a freelance basis, actually. He, you know, he's, uh, he's not working for the company. So uh, she says, Hi, that's uh, very interesting. You say it's opening at 4.30. And he said, yeah. And I would like to have been able to see this old lady attend the opening of a massage parlor. With uh, You know, these, these are the little sights you only see in New York. You do not see things like this in Indianapolis. Um, no, you don't. Uh, I spent one whole night in Indianapolis trying to find something like that, but nothing. So uh, if, you, if uh, you people here in... in uh, <laughs> in New York, you should be thankful for your blessings. New York's got a hell of a lot to offer. And uh, it's it's all a yard wide and going strong. In fact, uh, uh, when I saw my name up there amid the graffiti, it's kind of a heartwarming feeling. You know you've really made it. Uh, when your name has been placed there by a nameless graffiti artist next to the gum machine in the Christopher Street station, and that's very, very in. That is very in. Uh, you know, anybody can get his name down to 42nd Street. My God, you know. But this was Christopher Street. And uh, I, I kind of, you know, I, I, there was a brief moment I said, I wish my agent would see that. Now he'd know Shepard's really on his way. You know, I have a vast listening audience, all of them equipped with uh, little spray paint cans and, uh, you know, with a, with a heavy thumb used from working those felt-tip points. But the, this is this is all part of the new the brave new world that you got to accept. Now, I, uh, I I there was one other one, you know. I I got really thrown for a loop the other day. See, I know I know what it is. It's all right. I know that you're worried. Okay, this is W O R New York. Everybody can leave the control room now. That's all they wanted to hear. And uh, <laughs> I know. I <laughs> got. But uh, so so you never know, you know, when, you, when you're walking down the street here in New York, when you're going to have an opportunity, an unparalleled opportunity. So one day, uh, I'm uh, walking along 8th Avenue, over there where all the Greek restaurants are there, you know, in the 40s, see. And I'm walking along this place there, and the guy says, hey, psst. You know, and I turn, I'm a sucker for anybody that comes up behind me, hey, psst. You know, this is, uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> I haven't heard anybody make a clear cut like they do in the comic strips, psst. That's a, that's a classic uh, expression. P-S-S-S-S-T. Psst. Now, think about that for a minute. It's been a long time since anybody's actually been, you know, said that to you. Psst. With the T. Uh, so, I'm walking along. And I, psst. 
Well, you know, I'm immediately aware that something is uh, beckoning. I'm a guy who has never turned down uh, an opportunity to enrich my life. Uh, oh, no, no, no. I, I proceed through life on that premise, and it has cost me dearly. I'll tell you, throughout my time, it has cost me dearly in spades. So, psst, I turn and I said, yes. He said, hey, look at this. Well, I'll be damned. He whips out from behind his, you know, he's holding it behind him. He whips it out like this, and he shows me this little blue book that is apparently an, a, 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 an original artwork that shows some adventures of Maggie and Jiggs. Well, I was very surprised because I didn't know that Maggie and Jiggs, first of all, are still in the comic strips, and I didn't know that they did that kind of stuff. I, and he says, how do you like that? I said, well, that's very interesting. That's Maggie and Jiggs. He says, you bet your thing it is, Maggie and Jiggs. He says, where do you see this? And he reaches into his little carrying case, and he whips one on, and he opens it. It's Mutt and Jeff. Well, for heaven's sakes, I said, Mutt and Jeff, that's very, that's very interesting. I never saw that. Did they run that in the, in the Daily News? I didn't see that, sir. I follow Mutt and Jeff religiously. And I did not know that they were involved in that kind of stuff. And at that point, uh, he says, listen, you ain't seen nothing. And he reaches down. You know, he sees he's got a live one, see. And by the way, I've developed a great look on the face of a live one. You know, a live one always has to have a look of continuing and total wonder. Really? This is the this is the look of the live one. So uh, I, I I turn on my live one. See, I says, really? I says, that's very interesting. Uh, wonder where I could get some of them books. <laughs> I bet I'll bet I'll bet none of the boys at the office ever seen nothing like that. And he says, oh, where did you see this? And he whips out another one. Would you believe it that there are that there are strips that have never been published of skeezics? Did you know that? And I didn't know, I've never seen it happen in the strip, I didn't know that Skeezix was a very good friend of Winnie Winkle. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And uh, not only that, I also found out that, that Donald Duck uh, has had quite a past. And so I stood there, The you know, uh, we, we got talking about trivia, see, you know how it is, one thing leads to the next, you know, I'm talking about, I was surprised that, uh, you know, uh, incidentally, he also... Uh, showed me a fantastic uh, episode of Mary Worth. I didn't realize that Mary Worth, who is usually a very nice lady who has a very stilted way of speaking, have uh, you noticed in the comics she very speaks very stilted. She's always saying things like, "Well, I do believe I understand you correctly, Mr. Abercrombie. I believe your niece is in grave and dire danger." She speaks like that. Well. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the, the, the vocabulary she has that she uses when she's off stage. Well, I, I was very impressed with that. And uh, so we stood around there for a while, and I, and I, you know, I tried to stump him. I tried to stump him. I, I said, uh, yeah, well, listen, you, you, what about Smiling Jack? He says, Smiling Jack? Oh, and whips in there. Well, I was amazed to discover that Smiling Jack, who I always thought was a very straight-laced sort of person, didn't you? Well, Smiling Jack... Well, I just just uh, hate to tell any of you who are listening tonight, Smiling Jack has done some very bad things, which I'm sure that if it ever got back to the readers of uh, his strip in the, in the Daily News would be very shocked. And uh, I said, well, that's very interesting, Smiling Jack. Uh, uh, how about the... Now, of course, he was, uh, he was obviously uh, wanted to be tested. This guy was showing off. So I said, uh, uh, hey, I'll bet you don't have... Uh, <laughs> I'll bet I got you with one. He said, what? What is it, buddy? I said, uh, how about, uh, 
How about peanuts? How about peanuts? Oh, he said, peanuts. Oh, well, I see you're one of the hip ones, huh? Well, and I was amazed, totally and thoroughly amazed, to find that Snoopy is not just a simple-minded beagle who goes around pretending that he's a World War I pilot. Snoopy has other fantasies. And I'll tell you, they're a lot more exciting than he plays hockey. You know, he always pretends that he's an NFL hockey player. Well, or was it his NHL? Is that what, the, what is the hockey is? Who knows? they got 37 leagues now. And uh, nevertheless, I was very surprised to find that he had a complete line of Snoopies. He had a line of, uh, what's that little girl, uh, Nancy and Dondi or something? Very surprising. He had a very esoteric collection. So uh, I, I decided that since this guy really had spent so much time showing me all of his wonderful comic strips, that I, all, the least I could do was to show him some of mine. Now, now I'll tell you, I, I haven't mentioned this to any of you out there, but I have a, an absolutely mint condition. It's a little book that I picked up once when I was in the Warren G. Harding School. I've never left it go. It's, it contains an episode that I suspect Orphan Annie herself would prefer to forget. It's a fantastic scene, Orphan Annie with that dog, the one that went, you know, arf all the time, and this guy with the, with the turban on his head. Did you know they were very good friends? Little Orphan Annie and the Asp. There's a lot of stuff going on there. And also, Daddy Wallet. You know, what was his name? Daddy Warbucks was not really her daddy. Uh, I discovered that when I first read that book. And it's changed the strip for me ever since that time. There's a lot going on there, see. So I showed him that one. He says, by God, that's really good. So he asked me if I'd trade him. He said he'd give me three Snoopies. He'd give me three Snoopies, a Mutton Jeff, and a Mary Worth. For my collector's end. Well, I said, no, of course not. And uh, I'm going to meet him, though, later tonight. We're going to talk further business. So, you know, New York can be very exciting. It just never stops. Uh, like, uh, no, like the time I'm sitting in the H&H one day. You want to hear little, uh, m you know, little vignettes of New York life. I'm sitting in the H&H. My favorite H&H, by the way, is up on 57th Street. And... Uh, yeah, it's the one on 6th Avenue, between 6th and 7th. This is, this is a very high-tone H&H. All out-of-work ballet dancers and ex-opera uh, ex divas go there, you know, and guys that once <laughs> once copied music for an unsuccessful composer of a Broadway musical, they all go there, you know, and they sit around. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I always reach my natural habitat. Water does, you know. So I'm sitting there in this, this table one day, in the middle of the afternoon, I'm with two out-of-work playwrights, and a guy that was trying to sell me some comedy material, which, incidentally, I had sold to him two weeks before, and he'd forgotten that. So we're both sitting there. When uh, all of a sudden I notice a movement at the next table, see? And this uh, elegant, uh, apparently in the, an opera star, is sitting there with the beads, you know, gigantic bust and all that, a very elegant lady. She's wearing a hat with feathers hanging down, you know. And uh, she was always, uh, every time anyone come in, she'd uh, have this tremendous voice, Oh, there! And uh, so obviously she's very elegant. Well, the lady that was cleaning up the tables, you know, there was a lady walking around with these little, these little carts. You've seen these little carts, and they put the plates on the cart seat. This lady inadvertently parked her cart right next to this lady. Well, it was fantastic. Her arm moved out like a shot, and she grabbed half of a roll. She grabbed uh, what looked like uh, two carrots and uh, half a donut, just like that. Zip, zip, zip. Well, she, you know, she laid it on her plate quickly like that. So I watched her do this three or four times. And uh, at that point, I realized 
that things were not what they seemed to be in New York. And from that time on, New York's been a very groovy place for me. Now I know. You know, it's not what it seems to be. So, <laughs> what the hell it is, I haven't figured that out yet either, but it just ain't what it looks like. Oh, yes, listen, did I ever tell you the time I got almost pushed under a double-A train by George Plimpton? And, uh, yes, actually, this happened to me. It happened to me at 59th Street there. I'm standing in this, uh, you know, waiting in line. I'm one of those poor saps that wait, uh, you know, to get my subway token. I walk up there, you know, and people, and I put my dime or my 35 cents up there, see... Well, this guy swept in. He's wearing his long black coat and with the velvet collar. He sweeps in. He pushes two or three of the proles aside. And he says, here, my good man, I'll have two. And he lays this buck down. Well, you know, he shortstopped me completely. An old army man. I knew what to do about that. I gave him a shot right in the groin, you know, with the knee. I've been shortstopped at many a table in the mess hall. Oh, yeah. You know what the expression shortstop means? You do. Any of you been in the army? Well, shortstop means this. I hate to have to explain my normal. I feel like James Joyce sometimes. I have to come with footnotes. So, uh, you know, short-stopping is an old Army tradition. Now, when you sit at a table in the Army, you know, you're in the mess hall, right? Ten guys. There's five on a side. You know, they have these long seats like that. Well, the KP comes down the aisle there. See, he's, he's doing the waiting. You know, he's the inside man of KP. He's got the big thing full of, uh, big tray full of uh, Army French toast. It's a very special kind of French toast. It's burned on one end and raw on the other. I don't know how they do that. It's a fantastic process. It's a curious kerosene aroma, which incidentally you get to like after a while. It's like uh, smoked fish. You get to enjoy it. So anyway, what is meant by shortstopping? They bring this tray down and they put it down at the end of the table, at which point it gets passed around. See, the first guy in the front, he takes his fork and about nine big slices of the, of the French toast. He passes over to his friend Aki, the PFC, on the other side, see. Always take care of your friends. He passes it, instead of down the table, across. So Aki shovels more in. Well, here you're sitting next to the wall. Well, by the time the tray has come around to you, the last guy before you is the only guy who is capable of executing the maneuver in the army known as short-stopping. Short-stopping means to take... The last, the second to the last piece off of any platter and then passing it on with only one left on it. If you take the second, not the last, the second to the last, well, you're liable to get a shot in your glandular reason, you will, region you will not forget shortly. That's called short-stopping. And uh, the, the punishment for that is summary and quick. And uh, it means, first of all, total ostracization. You are ostracized completely. Uh, you will probably not eat for about three or four days because, boy, they'll lay it on you. So, anyway, the first day I'm in the Army, uh, when I'm sitting at the table, inadvertently I perpetrated the maneuver known as shortstopping. Yeah, you know, the guys are handing down. In this case, it was not French toast. Uh, if you're curious what it was in this case, it was another odd obscenity which the Army lays on you often, a thing called uh, a candied Harvard Beets. They have a thing on beets in the Army. Don't ask me why. Beets are continually being paraded in the Army. Nobody eats them, incidentally. Nobody eats the beets. The beets immediately are taken in your tray and dumped in the big can when you're leaving the mess hall marked inedible. They have two, two big, uh, you know, two great big cans, which I always thought was one of the more charming. Uh, the Army's very truthful. 
uh, it is, is scaringly truthful. When you walk out of the mess hall and you're cleaning out your tray, you know, you're dumping the crud, there's two big cans. One's marked edible garbage and the other's marked inedible garbage. Now, of course, that's up to you to make a value judgment. And it can be nasty sometimes. And the, 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 the mess sergeant quite often stands back by those two cans. <laughs> and if you throw one of his specialties, for example, fruit salad jello, which uh, was uh, laid on Company K quite often. Curious they, how they make that. I don't know. It's, a, it's an odd rubbery kind of jello. It's not real jello. I don't know what it is they use. And these small, round, camphorated balls in there. It's called fruit jello. And uh, so once in a while, when a guy's really feeling like he's had it up to here, you know, he's really bugged, he'll walk right in front of the mess sergeant and take his, his tray, and he'll very carefully dump the jello into the inedible can. Now you're making a value judgment. At which point, the mess sergeant says, what's your name? Well, now you have a choice. Either you'll be truthful or spend the rest of your life <laughs> bent over operating a small machine with bristles on it. Uh, you know, a basic machine, known as a brush. That's a basic machine. Now, uh, so most guys, you know, whip out a fake name. Like I used to say, Gasser. And about 12 minutes later, Gasser arrives innocently. He never ate in the mess hall. He would always eat down at the PX. He would arrive and uh, lounge into the, into the, uh, into the uh, barracks, you know, and all of a sudden the PA sits around, Gasser, come to the oil room immediately. I mean now, what a double. Well, Gasser would say, what the hell now? And, you know, he'd go wandering out. We'd see him a week or two later. He'd lost a lot of weight, and his, uh, his fatigues are covered with chicken blood. Uh, various other things that you pick up down in the mess hall with blood in his eye, you know. Who dumped the stuff in the inedible can? Well, these, these, are, the, these are things you learn, you know, you, as you travel through life. And, and uh, living in the, the horn and hard art world, in the world where uh, people talk you out of doorways and they hand you, <laughs> so long, Earl. <laughs> you can see the sore heads are leaving. Hey, uh, listen, before we go any further here, gang, I have an important announcement. Will you give me a little echo chamber there, please? Hello? Hello? Hello, Queens, are you listening? Get the potatoes out of your ears. Important announcement. I am going to be signing copies of the Ferrari in the Bedroom, March the 6th, that's tomorrow night, 7 p.m. until the last dog is hung. And we are bringing several dogs to hang. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be in Menlo Park, New Jersey. Menlo Park Shopping Center, Bamberger's, Edison, New Jersey. Now, that's off Parsonage Road. Oh, that's an elegant neighborhood, Menlo Park. That's where Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, and nothing's happened since. However, uh, he regretted it from the day he turned that thing on. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's hanging all over Christmas trees and stuff. But uh, nevertheless, we're going to be at Menlo Park, the Menlo Park Shopping Center, Bamberger's. Now remember, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. in Jersey for a big signing of the Ferrari in the bedroom, which is now in its fourth printing, by the way, and going fast. So, Menlo Park, tomorrow night, Bamberger's, Edison, New Jersey, off Parsonage Road, beginning at 7 p.m., Till the last dog is hung. Now watch, some deal doctors going to say, hey, what department are you going to be in? It ain't going to be in the drug department, you slob. Where do they handle books? Or haven't you been in that department? You know they had one like that, huh? Those little blue books. They got a whole collection of them over there in Bamberger's. But uh, nevertheless, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, till the last thing is hung, 
Big Book Signing, Bamberger's, Menlo Park Shopping Center, Edison, New Jersey, off Parsonage Road. Do not miss this. Do you have a general tire in there, please? No? Oh, it's a great spot. Oh, I love this. <laughs> Hi, George. <laughs> it's a word from the California Prune Advisory Board. Every time I hear the word prunes. <laughs> Eve, isn't this a nice part of the garden? It's lovely. I've never been in here before. Yeah, oh, I scouted it yesterday and picked it out. Nice picnic area. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I packed some this peanut butter and problem. also some liver Oh, first. Adam, I don't want that stuff. It's very nourishing. <laughs> I'm not in the mood for that. I want some fruit. Fruit is well, so healthy. Oh, don't say don't that around start. here. Look, there's fruit all over here. You look. <laughs> oh, yeah, look funny that. looking. Yeah, funny like a little. Prunes. Perfect. I want one. <laughs> a lot of girls laugh when they hear prunes. Now, maybe it's because that they don't all. know that pound for pound, prunes have nearly six times the iron of the six leading fresh fruits. <laughs> prunes. Or that prunes are good for a girl's complexion. Yeah. Or that prunes have, have eight times the prunes. vitamin A of the Just... most popular fresh fruit. California prunes, oh, the yeah. funny fruit that does so <laughs> much for God, you. Yes. What kind of trouble can you get into with a fruit? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> Whew, that's a loaded question. You shouldn't with the kids up like that ask a question like that. What did she say there? It's oh, a little in jokey. Uh, that was a word from the California Prune Advisory Board. That's very funny. Prunes, I tell you. That's one of those... Uh, Yes, it's one of those uh, TV, radio, commercial type uh, problems. I, I've always noticed that people... He, I, have you ever laughed when anybody said prunes to you? I've gotten mad. By the way, that's another thing. In the Army, they go for prunes. Have you noticed that? That was a big thing. They, they, if, the way the Army serves them, yes, they're curiously spongy. And uh, more than that, they serve them with, uh, with these new plastic synthetic orange peels. They're not real orange peels. And... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I like to, you know, I like to talk about uh, about the way life really is. Uh, incidentally, speaking of that, here, listen. If you think things have changed, any of you army types, right? Listen to this. Any of you guys who are in the army? It says, uh, I just got this today. It says, here is a, here is an advanced current report from the Fun Action Army of this moment. Dear Shepard, he puts my army rank immediately following that. Which, due to the fact that I don't like to uh, throw my rank around, I don't generally use on the air. I don't. Do you remember those guys who used to be on the air, all those uh, famous uh, commentators? They used Major George Fielding Elliott now reports with the news. Colonel McCormick now gives his uh, analysis. I mean, yeah, well, that's right. I, 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 when, I fr when I got my first stripe, I thought to myself, you know, I think I'm going to use that rank all through life. You know, PFC Shepherd. Uh, <laughs> how prophetic. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> yeah, by the way, the Army had another expression for PFC. And I, uh, for those of you who are over 21 who are interested truly in the history of Americana and the uh, histology of the uh, American English language, I will tell you what PFC meant in the Army. Did you remember what they called PFCs? Uh, well, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, nevertheless, it says, uh, <laughs> "Don't don't tell her." But uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, they even, they used to call civilians that too. You remember that one? They they refer to a civilian as that. But uh, here's what the current PFC says. He says, "As a current basic trainee, he ain't made PFC yet at Fort Dix." I happened to listen in the other night when you were discussing 
your days in boot camp. In fact, boot camp kid is not ever used in the Army. Boot camp is a Navy term. You'll learn that quickly. You can see he's a new yard bird. Boot camp. You try trying that out in your DI boot camp. Uh, he says, in fact, I managed to draw a few of my cohorts away from their boot polishing and floor waxing to listen with me. <laughs> Needless to say, we had a fantastic uh, laugh over your, your remembrances since they, we are currently going through exactly the same thing. He says, as you were left oblique harching all over the parade ground, if you recall the story, came about when in a, a moment of headstrong evangelism, uh, you know, how many of you always have the desire deep inside of you to correct uh, various grammatical errors and things when you see them occurring? Only for, you know, to help people out. Do you have that problem ever? You don't? Well, you're lucky because it can get you a lot of fat eyes. Uh, I, I happen to have had that problem almost from the grave uh, of my grandmother. When the guy is reading over her, he says, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Will man never end it? Yeah, I said, no, that's not right, Parson. At which point we got into a long theological discussion, and from that time on, I was hooked on correcting people. Now, my next great correction occurred in the seventh grade. My first one, when my grandmother was being laid away, occurred when I was five. I had picked up the expression in, in the Sunday school. My next great adventure was when uh, Mr. Melton, uh, who was my geography teacher, rashly used the word protein to the class. He taught health, too. Do you remember when you took health in school? That was exciting. You know, about how you keep your fingernails clean. And uh, by the way, they, they also told in health that you should, you should uh, brush your teeth with an up-and-down movement. Well, I'll never forget the day when, uh, you know, again, uh, carried away by... Uh, by uh, evangelistic zeal, I walk into the john, and there's my old man scrubbing his teeth the way he always did, which was, you know, back and forth, sideways, with a lot of hawking. He would... I say, uh, Dad, excuse me, Dad, what do you want? I'm late. I said, Dad, you should do it up and down. He said, what? I said, do it up and down, Dad. You're not brushing your teeth correctly. At that point, he put his toothbrush down, and he hollered, Hey! What the hell's getting into this kid? He is calling out to my mother. He said, Get him out of here! I'm late! Well, you know, again, carried away by evangelistic zeal, I said, Don't forget to gargle twice with Listerine. So what the hell are you telling me how to gargle? Well, at that point, he showed me an old trick he had learned in, in high school. He was a fantastic place kicker. And he demonstrated his place-kicking technique once again. What a shot. And I went down the stairs, end over end. Uh, you know what over tea kettle. And I landed at the bottom of the stairs, and at that point I realized that advice is not a thing that should be given lightly. It is never accepted lightly. So uh, from that moment on, I was a confirmed, uh, a confirmed uh, advice giver. I have given many words of advice to uh, unheeding uh, fans. And listeners, and so finally the day came when I'm in in the basic training. I'm in basic training. See, I'm I'm recapping the story lightly. I'm in basic training. Well, uh, I'm out there about three days into basic training, and we're out having our drill. You know, this is a this is a kind of a humiliating process where you're taught to turn on your left foot and on your right foot, 
you're taught to march forward in a straight line. You know, you always thought you could walk in a straight line, but you find that ain't as easy as you think. So uh, in the middle of all this, the, the drill sergeant hollered out the following. He said, Left! Oh, Blake! Hurch! Well, we did this, and uh, we did it about three times. The funny says, Any questions now from the platoon? I raised my hand. I said, yes, uh, Sergeant, I don't exactly have a question, but isn't the word oblique? The word is actually a French word, and it is oblique. Well, I, I can only tell you that I oblique harched for about 15 minutes all by myself in front of the platoon. Well, he showed me that it was actually oblique harch, and I damn well better know it. At this point, I never say anything but oblique. It's been ingrained in me. So this G.I. says, we were listening to this. He says, as you were left oblique harching all over the parade ground, we were chuckling away. As if your hard-earned lesson on correcting a D.I.'s grammar wasn't enough for me, what do you think I did? He says, I listened to you. What do you think I did? I did it today, quite innocently, simply trying to give the poor guy a hand. Staff Sergeant Green, our lovable senior D.I. over here at Fort Dix, was stumbling over a word he persisted in calling esoteric esoteric obviously trying to say esoteric quote why he chose that word i don't know he kept saying esoteric so i helped him out i said sergeant the word you're looking for is uh, esoteric meaning arcane information esoteric correct sergeant it was not appreciated he said i was the recipient of a of a tremendous torrent of four-letter words which incidentally many of them i had not heard prior to that time i realized he had a he had a tremendous vocabulary, which I did not even know of at the time. And several hyphenated expressions, which were extremely colorful. He said, I did not receive your punishment of harching all over the place. However, I was properly humiliated when I realized that I was totally wrong. I want to say that we poor souls in today's action army listen in when we can. He said, uh, yes, Shepard. Uh, one final note. Our company commander has written on his desk his definition of the army. Quote, the unfit 10% leading the unwilling 90% in a job that is 100% unnecessary. Which, uh, by the way, describes many another organization. <laughs> George, that's a little close to home, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I got four and a half pounds of memos today alone. We weigh them by the pound now. Friend, when Detroit chooses a new tire for their cars, they don't just uh, pick the first tire that rolls by. No, no, they're they, they very careful about picking the tires. They look, first of all, they look for tires that have a basic sexual appeal. When you're buying a new car, you want to be able to kick the tire. It has to have a good solid ring, a good solid thunk. You know that there's one company in Detroit that only turns out doors that make a solid thump? A lot of people think that if a door thumps solidly, that's a good car. So they make these special doors for cardboard cars, which uh, have sold many a car. I mean, you got $400 worth a, worth a door and about $74 worth a car now. But if you want to pick up one of these brand-new tires, the kind they put on new cars, you look in at your local General Tire headquarters. Get the 40,000-mile dual-steel radio from General Tire. Let's see. In Newark, ask for Ben Robinson at General Tire Service. He's the little short guy. The one with that funny-looking hat on with the big cigar. 857 Freeling Huizen Avenue. It's a bad name to say. In White Plains, see Mike Salvati at General Tire Service, 376 Terrytown Road, and ask him for some of the words he learned in the Army. Mike's got a good collection. However, uh, uh, for all of you uh, Candy Beat fans out there, for all of those of you who are Mutt and Jeff fans, we think that tonight's uh, 
cultural essay has probably provided you a little insight into the excitements and the esoteric thrills available here in uh, Fun City. I wonder if uh, if Mayor Lindsay even knows about Mutt and Jeff, what they do. You don't think he knows about that stuff? Do you think he has the slightest suspicion of what Snoopy does in those little blue books? Why do we have to know these things? You know, no, I'm, I'm serious. Why are some of us debauched and the others march on to really read the Reader's Digest seriously and go on to all those great things? They, they grow up to be Merv Griffin. Oh, you know, there's, there's a guy that looks like he's made out of cream of wheat. You know, it's kind of nice. He's never had an unclean thought in his life. He's had nothing but hard-working agents. So, uh, which, by the way, is a twist in itself. Would you please uh, bring up that, uh, that thematic melody there, please? The reason I've selected this theme, in case you wondered, it's the most dynamic piece of total mediocrity I ever heard in my life, which makes it highly symbolic of our time. Oh, I never did finish the story about how George Clifton, you know, tried to pretend he was a Detroit Lion quarterback in the 59th Street subway station and found out he wasn't. There are three guys in line who damn well could have been. Knocked them right on his you-know-what, flat, right on his Chesterfield. Good night, Norman Mailer, wherever you are. Yeah, this is WOR New York. <laughs> As if you couldn't guess. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. Two of the prisoners of war released last month were AWOL at the time they were taken prisoner by the communists. One of them, Private Ferdinand Rodriguez of Brooklyn. But today, Rodriguez and the other G.I. learned that they are not to be punished, that the Army plans no action against them. It's the Army's feeling that the men suffered enough punishment while in captivity. At a news conference in Washington, Defense Secretary Elliot Richardson talked about aid to North Vietnam, and he was emphatic that there will be no assistance unless there is a genuine, stable ceasefire. That statement presumably was intended for both Hanoi and the Congress, Many congressmen are opposed to any kind of reconstruction for North Vietnam if the money comes directly from the United States. The two slain American diplomats came home today. Newsman Roger Gittins reports from Washington. A light fog shrouded Andrews Air Force Base as the presidential jet carrying the bodies of the two slain diplomats touched down. The national anthem and a 19-gun salute rang out in honor of Ambassador Cleo Noel and his deputy George Moore, murdered by Palestinian terrorists Friday in Sudan. More than 500 State Department employees were on hand, as well as Secretary of State and Mrs. William Rogers. They stood silently at attention as a soft drizzle fell while the caskets were removed from the plane. Secretary Rogers boarded the jet briefly to console the families who had accompanied the bodies of their men from Khartoum. Earlier in the day, Rogers called for the members of the guerrilla band to be put to death for the murders. Moore and Noel will be given a hero's burial at Arlington National Cemetery. Roger Gittins, Washington. Joseph Curran, president of the National Maritime Union since its founding in 1937, has announced his retirement effective immediately. The post of president goes to Secretary-Treasurer Shannon Wall, but that's only until May when the new union elections are to be held. Curran is seeking a million dollars in severance and retirement benefits. All this is now in the hands of the court. Union dissidents claim he doesn't deserve that much. We'll have more news after this. Isn't it great to know that you can still enjoy traditional service 
quality, and reliability. Isn't it great that you can depend on Beshars, the complete carpet professionals, one of the nation's oldest names in carpeting to satisfy all your carpet needs. They'll professionally clean your wall-to-wall broadloom carpeting right in your home or office in one day. They'll clean your loose rugs and carpets, domestics, orientals, novelties in their modern plant, and return them fresh as new within a week. Beshar's craftsmen will pick up, clean, alter, and relay your carpeting in another room or in your new home if you're moving. And if you need new rugs or carpeting, see Beshar's fabulous selection of fabrics and colors. Now, isn't it great that you can rely on the complete carpet professionals for everything in carpeting? Call Beshar's, Plaza 8-1400. That's Plaza 8-1400. WOR Radio News Time is three minutes after 11 o'clock. Back to the news, did the FBI get the runaround when it attempted to investigate the Watergate affair? Newsman Pi Chamberlain reports from Washington. A secret FBI report said Nixon campaign officials tried to keep FBI agents from getting to the truth of the Watergate affair. The report was made available to the Senate. It was originally made last year to the White House at the request of the President's law counselor, John Dean. The report was dated four days after the June 17th break-in at the Watergate. It said a confidential source advised the FBI that Nixon campaign officials were, in the language of the report, sending FBI 